Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Well, in today's podcast, I talk to Alyssa Blast-Campbell, who has a master's degree in early childhood education, about how parenting has moved from being an instinctive process to one of being needed to be guided by experts, and also how the well-being of the parent directly impacts the well-being of the child and how to manage this as parents. We also talk about how to recognize and develop the deep-seated insightfulness and resiliency in children through a collaborative relationship and how not to pathologize childhood. Join me as we dive into the podcast. Alyssa, welcome to my podcast. I am really very thrilled to talk about this extremely important topic and, you know, raising kids in today's compete and compare society. I think parents are getting hammered from every direction and I mean, you just have to jump on social media and and within inst- five seconds, you feel guilty about your parenting. Everything's wrong that you're doing and you're not doing enough. And everyone's looking at your child's behavior and blaming you as the parents. So I think it's become, it's gone from, it's, parenting's very, very, become very, very challenging now, almost to the point where parents feel that they need an expert to help them just be doing what they, a lot of them, you know, what we instinctively know how to do. So I'm very, very excited to have you on the podcast to talk about how we can alleviate some of these stresses for parents and guide them in a great way. So welcome. Thanks. Yeah, I'm jazzed to be here. And I think you're right that it's become really overwhelming to parent. Oh, totally. And you know, there's some great advice out there as well. You know, there's incredible amounts of great advice, but I think it's got to the point where how do we help a parent to, you know, enjoy parenting and not feel like we have to hothouse or helicopter parent our children? Because even though we know that that's not what we should be doing, the way that we've been told you've got to, you're almost responsible for every, absolutely every output of your child from every at every stage and every level. It changes a lot of the natural play and free play and that kind of thing. And and I've watched this over the 38 years I've been in my field, and it's really, uh, that's really changed. So, Elisa, please introduce yourself to my audience. And now that we've, te- we've tempted them with a little bit of what we're going to talk about, just let them, please let them know who you are and your background. And they've heard the intro, but it's always nice to hear it from you. Yeah, totally. So I have a master's in early childhood ed and have worked in early ed in a number of different facets. And I was working at a school where we were connected to university and we had access to do research. And so a colleague and I co-created the collaborative emotion processing method. We call it the SEP method. And we researched it, gathered data, and then we have a book coming out in fall of 2023. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks. And I now run Seed and Sew. I started it to really like bring the SEP method beyond our in-person village that we had been working with. And so I have two different facets. One that's for parents. We have a podcast and Instagram and a bunch of courses and resources, things there. And then I have a professional development program for early childhood educators where we're diving into what does this look like in the early childcare setting and we have ongoing support for teachers and all that. So your main focus is early childhood, specifically ages sort of zero through four. Is that correct? I'm licensed for zero through eight, but most of our work falls in the like zero to six range. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. And that's such an interesting age. And so I think maybe a good dive in point would be to just to sort of give us a broad overview. I love the questions you sent me. I mean, normally I go and create my own, but I really enjoyed yours. You know, I think one of the the key questions that I wanted to talk about in, in terms of that age range is the raising emotionally intelligent children. 
you know, you, you, you've immediately hit on two hot buttons and, you know, that's emotions. And I think emotions is a word that's so overused and under, misunderstood. And then intelligent, which is one, another area that's been so misunderstood. I mean, our traditional IQ movement has been disproved and IQ is not, intelligence is not fixed. It's a continuous ongoing thing. And that the fear that parents have been brought up to believe that, okay, well, if I don't get it right in the first seven years, that's it, you know, there's no hope beyond. And that's changed dramatically, but there's still a lot of parents that I believe are still under, and educators, I mean, you'd know yourself, Alyssa, from your work, that it's surprising how many people working in this field still talk about the first seven years as being the most important and thereafter you can do nothing kind of thing. Maybe not as extreme. So with that background in mind, can you just walk us through what you, you know, what it means to raise an emotionally intelligent child? Yeah, so for us, we're looking at first and foremost, self-awareness, like helping kids understand what's happening inside their body. I think of, you know, when we say like, I have butterflies in my stomach and we know what that means. We know that somebody's feeling nervous or excited. I can feel that feeling inside when somebody says that. And we want to help kids formulate this beyond, I feel nervous or excited. What does it feel like in my body when I'm feeling sad? What about when I'm angry? What about when I'm disappointed or embarrassed? What does that feel like inside when it's building? Like if it was a volcano before it erupts, when it's just bubbling up, where am I noticing that inside? And then we pair that with the self-regulation. Now, how do I help my body feel safe or calm if it's starting to feel out of control? It's okay to experience feelings. It's okay to have them. And then if they're starting to take over, if it feels like, oh, I'm, I'm out of control or I'm getting out of control and I want to get back to feeling safe so that I can access my whole brain, how do I do that? What does that look like in practice? And so we dive into what it looks like to build self-regulation. Spoiler alert, starting with us, with co-regulation. Yeah. And then we move on to empathy and social skills and motivation. So building that intrinsic motivation rather than relying heavily on extrinsic. What does that look like? How can we have both? Because we will have both. And then how are we fostering social skills, the ability to differentiate how I show up at home versus at school versus at my grandparents or at a restaurant, et cetera. And then empathy. I can't empathize with somebody else if I don't know what it feels like to feel that feeling because we don't empathize with why somebody's feeling something. We empathize with what they're feeling. We empathize with the feeling of disappointment or frustration or sadness, et cetera. And so first and foremost, we need kids who know what does that feel like in my body, then we can empathize. So that's the cornerstone for us, those five pillars of emotional intelligence that we're working on in early childhood. And I love that you noted the neuroplasticity. There's so much pressure to get it all right. And I, <laughs> I so badly just want to scream like, can you imagine if we were like, yeah, no, after seven, that's it. So if you're an adult, just like throw in the towel if you don't have these tools because there's no option for getting them. Like now that feels bonkers for us, right? Like we mm -hmm. know better now. And thanks so much to work like yours that helped us lead to this space that we're in now that we know better now. We know that there's neuroplasticity. And just recently, actually, a couple of years ago, my mom reached out and I was not raised with these tools. I was not raised in a household mm -hmm. like this. And she reached out and she was like, 
Hey, she'd been tuning into the podcast and diving a little like on the periphery into my work. And she was like, I realized I didn't do a lot of this. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, yeah, thanks. And like, we got to have a real conversation about, isn't that beautiful? Just like about my childhood. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't too late. I was in my thirties and was a parent myself. And still it wasn't too late to hear from my mom and navigate some repair around some different things. There's nothing worse than going to a doctor's appointment expecting to be the center of attention and then your doctor seems like they have better things to do and better places to be. Instead of listening to you intently, asking how you feel and helping you along, the doctor is checking the clock. On ZocDoc, you'll find quality doctors who focus on you, listen to you and prioritize your care. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. When you're not feeling your best and just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all your energy. And that's where ZocDoc comes in. Using their free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with a few taps in their app and start feeling better, faster with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com leaf and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash leaf, ZocDoc.com slash leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. That's a beautiful thing that you just shared because I had a similar conversation to my mom with my mom last year. Now she's 86 and I'm 58. And, you know, we were just, and she did, you know, she did a great job in, in, at that time, which is what, what she knew. And, you know, there's certain things that were just amazing that I've carried through into my parenting and some that I definitely didn't carry through and some that damaged and some that didn't. But we, at, at that point, were able to, because she's also very aware of my work. So we had a similar conversation. So I love that you shared that. And it was amazing. We were sitting on this beautiful bench in Cape Town. And looking at the sea, and we had this honestly this three hour conversation of of sort of beautiful repair and everything. So it just shows you that that's never it's never too late. And and just to, I say this to bounce off your idea, your sharing of that story, that as parents we are going to mess up, and we can that guilt can destroy us. And that my mom's eighty six, your mom probably is in whatever fifties or sixties, and you had a chance to sit down and. And heal the damage. It's never too late, you know, that, that's to do that. And the neuroplasticity aspect, absolutely. You know, when I was trained, Alyssa, this may sound so foreign to you because you're obviously younger than I am, but we were trained in the 80s that the brain could not change. And I challenged my professors and, and they told me that's a ridiculous question because I said, how can our brain not change? Because our brain is just doing what the mind tells it to do. The brain's separate from the mind. And, you know, so we're changing, we're growing. So they said, well, go do research. It's a ridiculous question. So I did. And I did some of the first neuroplasticity in my field in the world in the 80s, showing that when you change your mind, you change your brain. So that has to come through to our kids and our parents that, yes, we're going to do damage unintentionally, but it can repair and it can heal. So I love those five pillars. I love that you spoke about some of my wheelhouse favorites, the self-regulation and the five pillars, you know, that bringing in the empathy. So good you brought in empathy. Can we dive just a little deeper and Talk more about empathy, because I know you as a, in the field that you're trained in, that we've had this misunderstanding for many years that children aren't really as insightful as what, you know, we've got to kind of dumb, dumb everything down. But they, they may not be able to express it, but they know a lot of stuff. And they have that, that empathy, that insight, it's there. And as parents, we need to know how to sort of bring that out and activate that. So could you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I just had so many stories of like young children pop into my head who Go have ahead. shown empathy. Stories of gr- <laughs> I'm stories like, which are one great. do I start with? Stories so are when great. when we were doing the research, this one little girl popped into my head who she was about 18 months at the time when we when this happened. She We'd been practicing the set method in this classroom. And so one of the parts of the set method is what we call the come watch, where when a child's experiencing an emotion, we open it up to the group or we'll say like, oh man, Jax's tower fell down and he's feeling really frustrated. Oh, wow, Jax, that is so frustrating. We're going to turn, but we turn to the group and let them know, essentially normalizing emotions here, helping to let everyone that is in a learning brain at this point, be able to be onlookers to this and start to breed some of that empathy. And so we would kind of welcome them in and we would turn to see like, how's Jax responding to everyone looking in? And sometimes they would pull back or they would push away and we would say, oh, it looks like they need a little space before they're ready for people to come into their bubble. And so then we would do that, but helping kids start to notice that body awareness in other people, this little girl, she would, no matter what you felt, whether you fell down on the playground, your mom left for work, your block tower crashed, she would grab an ice pack. And come over to you. That was like Aww. her, like, I'm going to help you. Right. So Aww, cute. That's so we, cute. It was so cute. We kept them available. And so Jack's tower crashes. She goes, she grabs an ice pack. She brings it over. She would put his hand on her hand on his back and just be there with him. Aww. She's 18 months old. She didn't have and the words to say. Mm-hmm. She knew. Yes, yeah. exactly. And we do, when we researched the set method, this was something that I loved so much was seeing how young a lot of these skills were being built. We call them yeah. mini stones to the milestones, right? She wasn't coming over with words yet and saying like, oh, Jax, and like empathizing in that way. But she was doing it with the skill set she had at that time, with the development that she had available. That's the that's the thing. What you've just said there is so key. And there's been studies showing, and I'm sure you're familiar with them, of children as young as two months being able to show empathy, mm-hmm. you know, and aware of your own emotions and the other, you know, we always think that kids are just so self-involved that not, not in a negative sense, but they're so wrapped up in learning to just become, you know, functioning humans in a world that they don't actually notice others, but they do from very, very young. And they, they can, they can see when you hurting as a parent mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, which is just so important in how, you know, in, in the whole self-regulation process. And also empathy is a great resilience builder, isn't it? I mean, that's really mm-hmm. how we can unmask that natural resilience. Because one of the concerns, and I wanted to bounce this back to you as well, is that we're getting a strong messaging, incorrect messaging in our current culture on the fragility of children and the fragility of humans in in general. And there's been a lot of, you know, sort of overlooking of the resilience research that we are actually naturally very resilient. But if you send the wrong messaging, they're going to receive it with their mind wired in the brain, and that's going to prevent them from, it sort of masks the resilience. And that fragility message is, is really hitting our you know, our adolescents and young adults and so on. But it starts in childhood. If you start breeding this messaging in, you know, the whole fragility thing, it masks resilience. So I'd love you to just talk a little bit about, you know, fragility, resilience, and how it links to empathy and identity. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when I think of fragility versus resilience, I'm really brought back to like us as the adult and how often we step in there and we're going to guide them. It's like, we're at a point where we can go down either path. And so for instance, like when I brought my child to childcare for the first time and he was going to do something new, which is going to feel hard for the brain Mm -hmm. and he's going to form a new attachment, right? Like it's going to be, there are going to be parts of this that are going to be challenging. It's going to be in a new environment with a new caregiver, with new routines. And there were parts of me inside that wanted to save him from all of that, from all of the hard stuff that would come with this transition. Because in my dream world, I could prevent him from feeling anything hard, right? Like as a parent, that would be lovely. And it won't prepare him for the world he's going to be a disaster, in in fact. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I think that that's where we come in, where instead of allowing kids to learn how to do hard things and learn that they can do hard things, that it really is, we say a lot of the time, we say with our words, it's okay to feel all your feelings. All of your feelings are welcome here, et cetera. But then our actions speak something different. So where good. Our, you know, where our actions are saying, oh, but your fear makes me uncomfortable. So can you stop feeling scared? Let me make that fear go away. Let me stop it from happening. Or let me prevent you from feeling disappointed that you're not going to get this thing at the store because your reaction to disappointment is going to be big and inconvenient and uncomfortable for me. So I'm going to stop it from happening, right? We we step in over and over and lead them down this path of fragility rather than down this path of resilience of saying, yeah, your feelings are welcome here. It is okay to feel hard things, to be in them without rushing them to go away. Just the other day, I was having a conversation with one of our Seed Cert teachers and she was identifying that she had a child who on Mondays are often tough for this child mm-hmm. after the weekend, whatever. And she'd had a hard morning and they had snuggled, she cried. And then she was often, she was sitting by herself and like watching the kids play. And the teacher called over to her, like, do you want to kick a ball? Do you want to read a book? Like, and the child said, no, no. No, she just wanted to sit. She wanted to be in that feeling for a little bit. She wasn't done feeling. And the caregiver noticed, the teacher started to notice like, oh, this is about me. Like I'm uncomfortable with her sitting and being in that. Like I have to do my own work right now. This is about me for her to be able to be in her feelings. She's doing exactly what her body wants to do and needs to do in this moment. And I'm trying to rush that away. And as the teacher built that- good example. I was like, oh, yes. Like, I love working with our teachers. So as she started to notice this, then she could pull back. She could take a look inside of what's happening, what's coming up for me, and allow the child who then, once she was ready, went and entered into play. She needed more time to feel and to be in the emotion. But it's so inherent in us to try and make it go away because of our discomfort. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That is so brilliant and so so well said and so important to understand that 
we need to stop and look at ourselves as well. And it's our intentions are good. You want to bubble wrap our kids, and I've got four adult children. And I still want to bubble wrap them, but they have to. You can't do that. And and as you say, what you pointed out so 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 important that we we kind of know that we know that they have to have these experiences, but our actions are hey, this is inconvenient now, or this is making me feel uncomfortable, it's triggering something in me. So we have to, and I always say that in, in my work with parents, I did a lot of work in ECD as well. And in, in my new book, I say also these these things, you've got to, it starts with you, the wellness of the child's based on the wellness of the parent. And another thing that you do, you, um, I just want to underline that you so beautifully explained with your story, is that teacher or caregiver modeled something for that child. And that was that, oh, okay, as an adult, I made the mistake of trying to rush your your process into almost like put it in a cookie cutter kind of whatever or make it work for me. I made a mistake. Sorry, let me step back. Let me get myself sorted, give you the time. So in other words, you just modeled empathy, role play. I mean, you modeled adults can make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. Because how many times I grew, you and I grew up in an era where parents didn't really say sorry or didn't really admit mistakes because you couldn't. You had to be this perfect parent who I've grew up with my kids saying constantly, I'm sorry, I've made another mistake. This is why I've done it. This is where, this is how we'll rectify it. You know, and that's what you've kind of modeled there. You know, and that's what I do love about the current age, the current parenting age, is that there is more of that. But I think the latter is happening more or less than it should because of the compete, compare role model. So the instinct that we should give our children the space to grow and develop and repair and make the mistakes, et cetera, is not marrying with the action. So there's a disconnect. And I think the disconnect, and I'd love your opinion, I think the disconnect's coming from, well, this is what it looks like to be a perfect parent and your child's misbehaving, it's your fault. Meanwhile, that child's experiencing that emotion and that story that you just gave with the caregiver, that child's going through that process. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think you hit the nail on the head that it comes back to perfection in this idea of almost like a checklist. Like if I yeah. do all of these things as a parent, then my child will easy breezy work through, oh, they feel frustrated. They're going to come over and say, mom, I feel frustrated in like a regulated tone. And we're just going to navigate it peacefully together. And the reality is that we're all going to cycle through periods of regulation and dysregulation throughout the day. And it's not a marker of being a successful parent or a successful teacher that like your kids are regulated all the time. Nobody is. But I think no. the idea that you can achieve that, that like if we're supporting them, if we're showing up with them in certain ways, if we're responding in certain ways, if we're doing all of these things, then everything will get easier. And I think really what I'd like to see the shift to is how we experience the child's emotion rather than like, if I do these things, my kid will show up differently. Oh, that's so good. That like when my kid shows up how they are, how do I experience that? What story am I telling myself about their behavior? What's happening inside my body? What tools do I have for regulation? Really shifting that back to our experience of their emotion. That is so important what you've just said. That whole, it, it, really, parenting starts with you being okay with yourself and allowing yourself to be a mess. This podcast is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. But, and, and, and I say millions of times and that it's okay to be a mess. And we've got to tell our kids the same thing. The big thing is, what are you doing about the mess? So be the mess, process the mess, and now let's have a chance to rectify and move through that. And if we don't model that for the child, so how that, how's the child going to know what to do? Or if you always come in and fix the problem, or prevent them from learning. We've removed the ability for them to develop the skills to cope. And you know, that's, there's a ton of research on that showing how dangerous that can be. So it's kind of like, I almost feel like, like you and I both want to give parents the messaging of, hey, take a deep breath and just relax and enjoy parenting. 
and you know, learn these things and yeah. <laughs> yes, like, like have fun with it. And I think there's also such a focus on like, am I saying things the right way? Or, you know, oh, I'm not supposed to say this anymore. I'm supposed to say it like this, that it pulls us out of just being present and playing with the child and being yes. able to see them in front of us and really communicate back and forth with them. Yeah. I want to be able to breathe and enjoy it. And also I call it reflective practice where at the end of the day, we sit down and my husband and I go like, all right, where did the wheels come off the bus today? Where were the challenges? Are those things that were just like happenstance, like, oh man, I X, Y, and Z happened this morning and then I didn't eat until later. So I was a little dysregulated. Or is this something that we're starting to see as like a pattern and we need to figure out what else to build in here, right? That when we're, I love the idea of cleaning up the mess. And I also want to like note that there will always be messes to clean up, right? Exactly. Like the goal isn't that you clean them up. We have a clean house. It, it's like- It gets dirty again. Toys, right? There's dinner again. There's more toys on the floor. There's everything. Right. Yeah. And you Anyone started all cleaned over. with like a child around is like, oh yeah, no, it's never clean. <laughs> it's yeah. like always more. And that's yeah. what this is about. And I, I think it's also really easy to look in a world of social media, to mm. look around and see everyone else's curated outsides and to oh, compare God. your mm-hmm. messy insides to that. And to be like, wow, like if I do all these things, I can get to that. And it's a snapshot that's curated that you're seeing. And I think that messaging needs to be out there a little bit more. And I wish there was less curation and more reality. Well, thank goodness. Thank goodness you sending out that message. And thank goodness I'm sending out that message. So at least there's, and there's a few of us that are trying to do that now. But you said so, it's so important because that curating of the message is just not swing to sorry did you finish your statement there oh, i yeah, interrupted you yeah, so you're making me so excited i mean this is really in my wheelhouse <laughs> i'm here for your excitement oh gosh so <laughs> so that brings me to the other side of the coin and i know we haven't this wasn't directly a question but i know this is close to your heart just from having read about you and so on the pathologizing of childhood you know the normal childhood reactions and you know, for example emotions are not illnesses and and a child almost being you know parents almost being told that my child has these extreme emotions there's something wrong with them. Meanwhile, they're just they're just being a child, and they're in a state. Something may have happened at school that have made them. They need a pro. That, that example back earlier on. They need the time to process that. So we we so there's a, there's a very strong biomedical model move as we know that's been happening over the last forty years, and I speak about that a lot on this podcast. But when it comes to children, it's this pathologizing of normal childhood growing up, and I think parents have got so confused between oh my gosh, what's normal, what's abnormal, and who's and then I asked the question, well, who's making that decision about what's abnormal and what's normal? Because the reliability and validity of the whole biomedical model and psychiatry and so on too is not even in working. It hasn't been, it hasn't, there isn't reliability and validity in terms of people saying this is normal and this is abnormal. Who, who has the right to say that there's cultural, there's socioeconomic, there's political, there's different nurturing, there's, there's just so many factors and as well as the unique individual child. So I have a massive concern. And this is why I do what I do and have written the books I have. And I, and, and I believe the same thing, that this pathologizing of childhood is, we have to challenge that completely and you know, take that away. I mean, I've thrown a bomb out there. And how would you like to respond? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I think that 
one of the things that for me stands out is the obsession of like, is it normal? And I don't think that's the right question to be Mm-mm. asking because Mm-mm. it doesn't shift anything. The reality is that emotions are often inconvenient. Like a kid isn't like, hey, ma, you got to spare 20 minutes for me to feel upset about something. Like, no. And it doesn't usually happen when we do have a spare 20 minutes. It happens when you're with people at the dinner party or in the shop trying or to get somewhere. out the door or whatever. <laughs> right. And like things are going on. And so first and foremost, that like it is emotions are almost always going to be inconvenient and the acceptance of that, that like you, the goal isn't that we're going to get to a place where they don't show up, that they aren't expressed and that they aren't allowed. And so just, I think for myself as a parent, like accepting there are going to be a lot of moments throughout the day that are inconvenient that I'm not foreseeing, that I'm not expecting right now. When I picture my day, because we all go into the day with expectations, whether mm-hmm. we're aware of them or not. And I'm not like, oh yeah, okay, during breakfast, my child's going to dump his milk all over himself and poke me with the fork, right? Like that's not a part of the vision I have for the morning. Exactly. And so when that comes up, it can be hard to navigate because it's a surprise. And so for me, starting the day with like, all right, here's what I'm expecting. And I know that I have a 16 month old. And so I'm going to get poked with a fork sometimes or things are going to go awry. Or your new nice white suit that you put on to go to that meeting is now going to be covered in breakfast. (laughs) A hundred percent. And so expecting that like there are going to be curveballs and it's not because your child is bad. It's not because there's something wrong with them. It's because they're human and they're also experiencing the messiness of emotions and life and inconveniences and expectations not being met. I think the most powerful questions that we can ask ourselves when we're looking at our kids' behavior is, are they building a new skill or do they not have access access to a skill that they have in the moment? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. when I'm looking at like kids who maybe a toddler runs up and pulls the older sister's hair because they want to play with them. If outside of that moment, the toddler can't tell me how to enter into that social play, how to go up and engage with the sister, they don't have that skill yet. They're still mm-hmm. learning that skill. And maybe they do know, maybe outside of that moment, they can say, oh yeah, I can go up and I can do this, or I can say sister play. Then I know, okay, they don't have access to it in the moment. So they're getting really excited to go play. And when they do that, they're not accessing those tools anymore. How can I help them build access in the moment and recall those things? Just like the difference between when you're scrolling social media and you see parenting advice versus being able to access that parenting advice in the moment, it's different, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's what I'm looking at here is, are we building a new skill or are they trying to access a skill that they already have, but don't have access to in the moment? And then it shifts, it shifts how we experience them, that they're not doing this to be annoying. They're not doing Mm -mm. this to hurt their sibling. Mm -mm. They're not doing this. And that means that in 10 years, they're going to be hitting kids at school because they don't know this. It means that right now, this is a skill they're still learning to build. And then it empowers me as the parent with what to do next how to help them and to be able to say like, oh, you really wanted to play with your sister. If you want to play with your sister, you can. And then I can guide them through and I can walk them through how to enter into that play. And it shows the older sibling then like, look, they're learning to build this skill and I can empower them with things to do in that moment. I feel like it's so much more empowering to look at, are they building a skill or are they learning to access something in the moment that they don't have access to yet? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. 
A lot of us will drop anything to go and help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people well, but how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? One of my resolutions for 2022 is to treat myself like I would my best friend. And one way I'm going to do this is to spend more time doing the things that make and bring me joy, such as walking my two puppies or reading novels in the bath. Therapy is another great way we can take care of ourselves. Indeed, you don't have to be in a crisis mode to benefit from therapy. Therapy can provide preventative and protective strategies so that when things do get tough, you'll know what to do. It's one of the best gifts you can give yourself. And this month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does. And therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. Cleaning up the mental mess listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash drleaf. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash drleaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. That is so good. And that's such a simple guideline. I love that. And to add to that, another thing that relating to a question we said earlier, I mean, a concept we said earlier, because we talked about, we're talking about a lot of asking the wrong, we're asking a lot of the wrong questions. This are they accessing the skill or are they still building? Are they mm-hmm. back into access the skill or are they, do they not just have the skill? Mm-hmm. Have I said that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Are they, not, are they still building it or do they not have access to it at the access moment? Access to it. So they built it, but they don't have access in the moment. So mm-hmm. that then, so that then I wanted to leap off that leads to the collaborative, facilitative relationship with a child versus the controlling relationship <laughs> with a child. You're not trying to control their behaviors. You're not trying to direct their behaviors. You are there a unique individual and you are collaborate, collaborating and facilitating. So then it's the recognition of, of the concept we spoke about earlier, that these are brilliant, little, intuitive, extremely intelligent human beings that are developing and we and there's stuff's in them. We've just got to help them to get it out and grow it and develop it and become the skills that they can access and use. And exactly. I would add to that maybe, Alyssa, I, I want you, what do you think about this is that Earlier on, we were talking about, you know, the parents enjoying parenting and not being so threatened by what's going on out there is maybe we could say to ourselves things like, and this is what I've told a lot of my parents and when I was practicing, is what do you need for you to function so well in the moment that you are able to then get into a state where you can tune into your child? Because if you're not meeting, and it's not you being selfish, it's you being realistic. Because if you're at a state where you actually are so worked up and you've had a terrible day at work or something like that, the chances are that's going to play out. 99% chance it's going to play out into that relationship with that child. And that child's going to read your body language. They're very good at reading body language better than adults. And that's an established scientific fact. So they will read what you're not saying. And they will immediately, because they're still young and developing, say, oh gosh, I am naughty, I'm bad, I've upset mommy. Meanwhile, they've done nothing of the sort. You're just out of sorts. And that's also okay to be out of sorts. It's okay. We have hard days. We're human. So in that situation, maybe it's a situation of, hey, what do I need right now? I need a bit of time to process before I can dive in, but my child needs my attention now. So what is what do I need to kind of say, okay, I can do this much now. Maybe I can, you know, let's just go outside and throw a ball for a while and then, you know, we can come in and do this more complex game or something. Or what is it that, so to quickly be able to manage that internal need, not fully, but to, to ex- just owning it and being able to say to the child, oh, mommy's so happy to be here with you today, but I've had a hard day and I'm a little tired. So can we do this? Do you know what I'm saying? 
Is I that, 100% do. Oh, yeah. Ask and yourself like, that question first versus diving in and trying to be what you're not actually ready to be yet in that moment. Absolutely. And they can, you're right, read through that because of mirror neurons. So we, when we are talking about the set method, it is five components. Four are about the adult and one is adult-child interactions. See, so look at that. My, 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 work is, my work is the same thing. It's like, let's get yep. your well-being and then we, then we can yes. facilitate the child. Yeah, that we can't do this with the kids if we aren't doing it with ourselves. And so we have self-awareness, you know, recognizing what's happening in our body as it's building before that volcano erupts. We have self-care, which is what you were talking about here. These are our coping strategies. What are we doing to cope? What are we doing to take care of our body throughout the day? Maybe it's eating food. Maybe it's getting enough sleep. Maybe it's my mom would do this where she would say, I'm one of five kids. And she would sit on the couch and she would say, I'm going to close. She would set the microwave timer and say, I'm going to close my eyes. When the timer beeps, then you can ask me questions. Do not ask me a question unless the house is on fire or someone is bleeding and a Band-Aid won't fix it. And that was like her. So practical. (laughs) Yeah, she had a little whelming moment. Yes, she was a stay-at-home mom. We were a low-income family and we had five kids. So she was tapping into whatever resources she could to be able to meet her needs so that she could show up for us. And I say she's the queen of self-care and it didn't cost any money. What it was was boundaries for her. She was really good at setting those boundaries of saying, it's okay. I She recognized that when she opened her eyes, maybe we dumped all of the contents of the Tupperware onto the floor or whatever. Like she wasn't going to be able to control what we were doing Doing when she was resting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was something she had to learn to let go of too, that like it was a give and take there. But so we have self-care, which we look at like recharging our battery throughout the day, moving, et cetera. And some of it's proactive and some of it's reactive active in the moment. And then we have scientific knowledge. And that's what you were just touching on the mirror neurons part of this, that we they're going to feed off of our energy. And so we can say all the quote right words, but if we aren't in a place where we're actually feeling empathetic, they're going to know that. It's like when somebody gives you a forced apology, you can feel it. Mm-hmm. And that's that same thing that we dive into in the scientific knowledge part. And then we have uncovering implicit biases. And that is where we're diving into our childhood and our social programming. What did we experience? How's that showing up for us in adulthood and in parenthood? And then what do we do about that? So those are the four adult components. And then we dive into adult-child interactions. And another little story just popped up for me. I was had these two little girls. I had one was two, one was three. This happened just two days ago. There was a three-year-old in one of those like toy cars outside sitting and playing. Mm -hmm. And the two-year-old went up and wanted to have a turn. And so she just starts climbing inside. This is a car for one, climbing inside. And so I popped over and I was like, oh, you really want to have a turn? You can be next. She's using it. And now she just escalates. She's clinging. It's like a hyena comes out, right? She's like clinging on to the side of the car and screaming and sobbing. I pulled her body off and I brought her over. She's not in a place right now for me to emotion coach her. She's not ready to do emotion processing work. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. It's dysregulated, right? And as her nervous system fires, so does mine. In the same way that when a baby laughs, it's so delicious and fills you with oxytocin. When she is losing it on the ground, uh, my insides fire that adrenaline or cortisol too. And so... I'm sitting there and I noticed this fire inside me. And so I was like, all right, 
my sole job right now is to regulate to co-regulate. And so inside, when I notice that for me, like I'll get a little sweaty, my shoulders go up to my ears, usually my chest gets tight. And when I notice those signs at this point in this work, those are signals to me of like, oh, you're about to lose it too, Alyssa. And so she's flailing in my arms and I just started humming to calm my nervous system. Mm-hmm. And was hummed for a little bit, didn't get to a place of like, I just left the spa zen, but calm enough where I can show up with her. And so then she started to like, she's no longer flailing, but she's still crying. And I was like, oh, and I went in and I just validated what happened. You really wanted to climb in that car and your friend is in there. I don't feel ready to solve this yet. Do you want to run over and touch the gate with me? And then we can run back. And yep, so she got up mm-hmm. and we ran over. I we, I did made it a game. I was like, I bet I can beat you. Ready? On your market set, go. We run over, we touch the gate, we come back. Now she's laughing and her body's starting to feel safe enough to be able to navigate that conversation. And win-win, it calmed my body too. Like getting that exercise yeah, in, mm-hmm. moving my body. So I think a lot of the times as parents, we think of these as separate things that like, well, I don't have the space to step away in the moment. Neither did I. I hummed with her in my arms and then we played a game together where we both got to move our bodies and to to regulate in the moment. We can't always step away and do that in the reactive state. And so looking at like, how do we build it in so that we're doing it with children? And then in comes that modeling for another win there. Keeping your mind healthy is so important because your mind health will affect your brain and body health. Having a healthy mind is a lot more than just losing your keys and forgetting something at work. It is about living life to the fullest every moment of every day. Our sponsor, NeuroHacker, combines 28 of the most research-backed nootropic ingredients on earth into the ultimate brain fuel formula, Qualia Mind, and it's been changing people's lives for years now. For my daily mental performance and supporting long-term brain health, Qualia Mind's a great addition to my mental self-care routine. It's great to actually take a health product where you don't have to wonder if it's working. If you deal with brain fog, memory lapses, sluggish thinking, then you need to try Qualia Mind. For nourishing your brain, it's hands down the best. It's made by the world's top scientists. It's an all-vegan formula with potent bio-available ingredients. This company's 100% transparent, no propriety blends, And beyond the science and research, Qualia Mind Flat Out works. In fact, if you don't have clearer thinking in 30 days, they'll give you your money back. See what the best brain fuel formula on earth can do for your mindset. Go to neurohacker.com forward slash Dr. Leaf for $100 off. That's only $39 a bottle. And as a listener of Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, use the code Dr. Leaf at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. That's neurohacker.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to try Qualia Mind with the code Dr. Leaf to experience life-changing mental performance. The link and details will be in the show notes. Oh, that's lovely. That's a lovely example in the work that I do that that falls under the category of brain preparation. Because not only are our mirror neurons activated, but our entire quantum nature, the electrophysiology, the whole neurophysiology of the body is responding. And there's no way you can do deep, deep negotiation at that point. You have to get that. So that's such a great example. Alyssa, we've run out of time and we just began. <laughs> we, left, we, left to, we left to revisit these concepts some more in another time. But this has been amazing, a great conversation. And I don't think we tapped. We, we, kind, of, we kind of tapped on everything. Let's, let's actually just wrap up with a... I know we said, let's just do this in a couple of minutes, kind of a wrap-up question. You know, I I want to just emphasize, you're going to talk a little bit about birth to five and why these years are so important, but with the emphasis that if you don't achieve all these things and 
in that time, you know, you can always play. It's not that that's over. You know, that whole thing of five to seven and that's it. That's not what we're talking about. But there are specific maybe emotional highlight points, cognitive highlight points that you could maybe just talk about in a couple of minutes if that's possible, just to round up this interview. Yeah. So I care less about their age, to be honest. Like, yes, they are formulating certain things in the same way that when we're looking at kids who are learning to walk, if they were three and they couldn't walk yet, we'd be like, hmm, what's going on on the inside for them? Are there certain roadblocks? We should be troubleshooting this so that they can access all of their movement capabilities for the rest of their life. It's not because I want them to walk by the time they're one. Exactly. It's really looking at like what's getting in their way. And I do the same thing when it comes to social emotional development. So we have little like mini stones and milestones that we might be looking at, but I'm less concerned with those and more, you know, if I had like a a third grader who was in a classroom and in third grade, they might be reading chapter books and a kid comes in and he doesn't know the alphabet. I'm not going to hand him a chapter book and expect him to read it. I'm going to start with the alphabet. So I care less about how old you are and where you quote should be and more about where are you right now? What skills are you working on building? And how do I meet you right where you are so that we can continue to build those next skills? Because we are forever learning. It's not like we hit a space with emotional development where we're like, check, got it all, donezo. It's a forever learning process. And so while yes, we know that we're forming a lot of the brain, 90% by the time they're five, 80% by the time they're three, we know that. I mean, if you have ever had a human who went from being a newborn to a year later, they're a one-year-old and you're like, wow, they're totally different human Mm -hmm. now with a whole bunch of skills that they didn't have. Yeah. They learned a lot over that year. And they're also learning not just how to walk and eat, et cetera. They're also learning the social emotional. Yeah. The social emotional skills as well, how to be in relationship with others. So all of those neural pathways are starting to form early on, which is why there is this emphasis on if we can get in early and do this work early, But ultimately, what I want folks to know is that we're forever skill building. And so however old your child is, if they're at a space where they don't have self-awareness tools yet, I don't want you working solely on empathy. I don't want to focus on the outside world if they don't know what the inside world feels like. And so ultimately, just like starting first with the alphabet and then moving your way to chapter books. You answered that perfectly, and it uh, it is corroborates exactly what I say all the time. It corroborates the research I've done. We've got to get out of these little fixed boxes, and that's uh, you answered it so well because people were expecting us. You've got to have this done by this time, by the, and you totally said it the way I knew you'd say it like that because I've I've you know I know a bit about what you do. So I'm so pleased because that's why I won't have someone on here on my podcast who's going to say if your child hasn't done that, then they need to go and see a psychiatrist and this and it's go and start the whole pathologizing of your child's and turn you into a total wreck as a parent and your child will pick that up because they'll pick up your anxiety. So parents, here's a great lead out into the, a, a great takeaway and hopeful takeaway is that your, your, your child never stops learning. And if there's a few little things that don't quite fit in, you know what, just focus in on that child, the uniqueness, because there's the, they, they are their own unique person. And with the right kind of collaboration and facilitation, they'll make their way. They'll find their way. How many great Mozarts and Einsteins have been labeled with all kinds of things and ended up achieving. We've got to keep remembering that with our children. We can destroy ourselves and our children literally by worrying about the compare and compete environment that we live in. So, Lisa, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate We're going to put all the links where people can get hold of you in our, in the show notes. And just to quickly end off by just telling us quickly where they can find you on social media yeah. and so on. 
Sure. So seedandso.org is the hub, our website with everything, um, courses, free stuff, all that jazz. We have Voices of Your Village podcast. And then on Instagram, seed.and.so, S-E-W, is where I hang out most. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. And it was a wonderful conversation. Thanks for having me. I loved it. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.